The business of culture, the culture of business, markets, policy, media and technology, entrepreneurs. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. What I have learned in the food business over the past 13 years, you say yes first and then figure out how you're going to make it happen. You have to do it all. There's no luxury to pick one and then just go after that. I think you have to take on the work. You have to find the extra channels. You have to scale. You have to do the branding. Like It's all of it. I'm taking on everything I can to keep this dream going. A young woman who worked in call center training moves to Virginia from India and totally reinvents as a culinary talent. A decade and a half later, she's a Food Network champion with seed capital and a huge dream to go global with her extra savory potato chips. So much to learn from Kea, so do stay with us. This episode is made possible by the support of Salomon and Ludwin, a boutique wealth management firm dedicated to helping families make smart financial decisions. You worked hard and sacrificed to create and build wealth. They treat advice given to you with the respect your journey deserves. For over 30 years, Salmon and Ludwin has earned a reputation of trust and confidence, recognized by Barron's as a Hall of Fame advisor. More at SalomonLudwin.com. Full Disclosure Podcast to NPR, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. The link, please subscribe, is FullDRadio.com. Please rate us. If you're listening to us on the radio, note that while we often have to cut for broadcast length, the entirety of every interview is available on podcast. Follow along on all the socials at handle FullDRadio. My DMs, alas, are always open. Joining me in studio for the third time in the nine-year history of this show, one of our first guests, Kea is back. Uh, she's the founder of KN Company, which is making and packaging its famous Indian chips by hand. In a past life, it was the Candy Valley Cake Company, which we, we told the amazing story of how she moved to Richmond 17 years ago from Mumbai and founded this company and rebranded last year. She won the seventh season of the Food Network show Spring Break Championship, which aired in 2021 and has... I mean, so many highs and lows in the intervening period, but now you're one of two companies that's part of the fall 2023 Lighthouse Labs cohort. I like to joke, do you tap dance? Do you play the piano? I do it all. I do that, birth, not gym, cricket, you name it. How are you? I'm good. It's so nice to be here. Thank you. It's good to see people in studio. Of course, COVID, as we know, it's a through line in this show. It knocked out uh, everyone. Uh, to refresh everybody's memory, Kea came here from Mumbai, was it 17 years ago already? 17 years. Oof. And we, I think we call that first episode Call Center Love. Because your now husband was training people for the late Circuit City, which was based here in Richmond, Virginia, and you were his counterpart in Mumbai. And he conjured up a scheme to go over there and train you and, I don't know, ex uh, extended education, continuing education. You fell in love. You came here and Circuit City proceeds to go under and you decide to reinvent, and you quickly became the cake pop queen of Virginia. I see your cake pops everywhere. You were doing Russell Wilson, Seattle Seahawks cake pops for collegiate. You were doing soft scrub uh, bubbles. These things were so intricate. I'm going to put them on the page I'm just to refresh everybody's memory. You were making Cardinal's Nest, and you didn't even have an, Indi an oven in India. Long story short, you called it Candy Valley Cake because you are from Kandivali, Mumbai. That's right. And that doesn't even begin to sum up your decade. I am so impressed that you remember all that. Because it so blew me away that you had not done any marketing. And I was at some sort of PR social and they're like, you need to meet Kea. 
What was amazing to me is that you deputized people in the age of social media, budding, to put out the word for you. And next thing you know, I hear about you on Food Network and, and seeking venture rounds. Tell me about the reinvention. Tell me what happened at the onset of the pandemic. Clearly, there are not functions happening and weddings and bat mitzvahs are being pushed back. Hence, not many cake pops being ordered. So as you can imagine, uh, 2020 happened to all the businesses out there. Our main business was custom desserts and large orders for corporate companies. Everything fell off overnight. So we pivoted to making modern Indian to-go meals. And with those meals, I would send tiny little bags of potato chips, masala spice chips. These are This was a snack that I was making for myself at home. It was nothing to it. But I wanted to thank my customers for letting me pivot in such a big way. So I would send these little sample bags. Slow down. This is almost like becoming a tiffin walla? <laughs> yeah, I guess you can say that. There are many call center workers here, the people who work at Capital One and the various quants and the special visa employees who come here. I've noticed that there's a thriving underground cash business with people who pack their lunches, uh, regional lunches at the beginning of the week in these, these tiffin, these stackable containers. But that clearly gets modernized in the era of work from home and... So you were making you were making food for who? For any anybody who wanted to. It is a pop up basically. Mm. So people would order online and then they would come pick it up from my studio. And um, uh, just because we had to do something, right? I wasn't about to furlough my staff. And those chips, not even a week later, somebody ordered just the chips. And the first time that happened, I was so confused. I was like, what chips? Like, what are you talking about? Turns out the chips were outshining the pop up and. That's kind of where, where I am now. It brought us to this. So this blows my mind. Everybody remembers Chuck E. Cheese would have gone out of business if it didn't rebrand as a, mm. you know, it, it started uh, going surreptitiously as a ghost kitchen. It would go as some other place pizza delivery. And so it managed to keep skeletal staff and take PPP and survive to live to see another day. True. Um, you immediately contorted through social media and said, hey, everybody. You may have noticed that sometimes I throw pop-ups, like I don't know if you were at Markel or somewhere where you did mm -hmm. certain foods. And if you want, I'm willing to whip this into shape right now and deliver what you were offering, vegetarian meals? Yeah, we were making naan pizzas. We were making masala mac and cheese. We were trying to modernize some of the Indian, traditional Indian meals because I wanted, because that's basically what I would eat. It was a pretty handy setup. You set up the pop-up online, people buy it online, and then they come pick it up on a designated day. Again, to start this century in Mumbai, you did not have an oven. I did not. I never. You're not exaggerating that. to no, say that. No, not exaggerating. Yeah. So, what was involved in this? Did you have to pivot to a commercial kitchen to do this, or were you able to do it in the bakery that you already had? Correct. We already had the space. We had to essentially just kind of restock in ingredients that we had never used before because we always had butter, flour, sugar. But to make Indian food, you need spices and and the chickpeas and vegetables and basmati rice. So we kind of changed our stock completely um, and started making this food instead. Kaya, were you doing it in the intervening years out of deference to your mother that you were making home-cooked dishes while you were the cake pop queen of the East Coast? Because how, where were you learning this stuff? Where were you practicing it? You were also an instructor at, was it Sergeant Reynolds uh, Culinary School? I did. I taught there for nine years. Um, I don't know. I, I wasn't practicing. I cooked at home. Um, my mother was a fabulous, brilliant cook. And I just, I think I got it from her. It's the it factor of cooking. You know, you, you inherit it. You were experimenting with what clarified butter and sure. vegetables and peppers and yeah, yeah. coriander. Every meal I made was a learning lesson, you know, for myself or for my family. But it's an innate sense. You don't really have to 
practice it. It just comes to you. So how does the infrastructure work to become an all, what, a delivery business at that time? You're dealing with the Grubhubs of the world and others, but it's you and your small staff and your husband and the kitchen, which is no longer really churning out cake pops, but savory foods. How many nights a week? Uh, we were doing it like two nights a week, and there was no delivery. It was only pickup. Mm. Yeah, because we wanted our customers to come to us when they felt comfortable. Talk to me about how the customers came out. We had one of your big fans is um, Ingrid Schatz, the baker who, you know, who, who struck out on her own to do the Swedish, Scandinavian baked goods of her family's lineage. And she was also inspired by you and vice versa to kind of go off and do this and do that leap of faith. There's always something terrifying. They'll say that the pandemic was one of the great resets of our lifetime. If you think about all the people working from home, if you think about the people who are on the fence, do I want to stay at this job? Do I want to try something entrepreneurial? This is the time to do it. Yeah, I uh, so shout out to Ingrid of Axel Daughters Bakery. Brilliant. Swedish treats. Try it out. I think you brought up a really good point. It kind of was a rebirth of sort, you know. And I think in my previous life, which is pre-COVID, I would have never imagined sharing my culture through food. I think I was too timid or too shy or not courageous enough to make something. I would think that, well, who's going to eat that, you know, which is terrible thinking, but you're kind of in, in this bubble and you don't think about it. So it gave me the push that I needed to do something different. What were the working capital needs and other things? You just pivoted to rice and oils and savory things and spices. Did you have to buy other machinery, other equipment? No, no other machinery equipment. We bought a couple more pans and things like that, but we already had everything we needed. Um, and I am pretty resourceful. So we used what we had and made it work. Did you have to retrain the staff for savory things? Oh my God, yes. My poor staff, because they only know desserts and they only know cake. So, and they don't know the terminology of Indian food, so they literally had to learn everything from scratch. Okay, so what were those first ingredients? You specialize in doing these whimsical things, such as I saw you at a brewery a couple of years ago when you were experimenting with mangolasi milkshakes, which were just out of control. I mean, the little fennel sweet uh, nerd candy things in it. I mean, if you're ever going to shell out a lot of money for a high-end kind of designer mango lassi milkshake. You're not going to find that anywhere else on the planet. And I just remember, they're all people from all sorts of walks of life buying that from you and then going to the pizza truck across the way and getting kind of pork belly pizza at a, you know, at a crossroads of civilization. What were some of the first dishes you were trying out? And talk to me about tapping your social media capital. Um, so the very first thing I made was a non-pizza, like a butter chicken non-pizza, because who doesn't love pizza? Who doesn't love naan? It was like a natural pairing for me because I knew that I, it would not alienate my customers and kind of welcome them to try something different. At the same time with ingredients that they may have heard of or components they may have heard of. So it is my way of welcoming them into a different kind of space um, that I was creating. You know, I have been very lucky. The Richmond community has been behind me since day one. I didn't have to do much. All I said was I'm making naan pizzas and they bought them. So how does it all work? This stuff is pretty seamless. You just shift over to a Venmo or a... Uh... Well, we had a site that we kind of attached a buying function to our site and people were able to buy online. So it sounds simple now, but I feel like in those months, I didn't sleep uh, for sure because that pivot was so hard and such a sharp pivot that there was a big learning curve. I'm thinking about that tiny, beautiful space in the museum district at 710 Lafayette, which is beautiful. And you had the, the potted flowers and everything. I, thought, I knew when I saw you there at the 
beginning when we first met. And we even tried to shoot a pilot, if anybody, I still have the footage somewhere for CBS 6. I once had a pilot show here called <laughs> Richmond is for Eaters. And you and your husband, Dave, were such great sports that you had me in that studio. I knew you were going to outgrow it with the demand you were getting. You quickly moved up to a 1,400-square-foot space in Scott's Edition, which is booming, and that's where you were churning out these incredible potato chips. That I just I associate those with the pandemic because I never in my life have had anything like this, that the essences that it leaves in your mouth with the taste of various curry that you hand ground, I'm sure, with an essence of mango or something, it felt like the, the jewelry version of potato chips. And you did that as a little thank you to these other savory dishes. But talk to me about how that soon consumed the entire business, the pivot. It's, you know, much like everything else, I stuck to what I knew. Uh, there was a spice blend that I used to make for myself at home. Because I used to put it on vegetables, on potatoes, on rice, on beans. It was just a basic spice blend. And I put it on potato chips. I just happened to put it on potato chips one day and just kind of fell in love with the concept and put it in my back pocket thinking, okay, maybe someday down the line I'll make these. And when the pandemic happened, I was eating a lot of those potato chips. I'm like, you know, I'm going to share these with my people. Well, I was eating a lot of them too. And I was <laughs> right. giving them to guests. <laughs> right, exactly. And at Elwood Thompson's, they're sold in these little jewel yeah. package cases yeah. that yeah. you get, which is just, I take it to my wife. It would be just perfect a treat size. that you would save for Friday. Some people would have it with a glass mm. of wine. Oh, perfect. Again, I'm breaking the fourth wall here, but it was so special that I suspected you know, Kaya, this is going to pull you away from cake pops and I love your food. And the milkshakes are great. I don't know how much you could scale the milkshakes, but something like this in the consumer packaged goods world, where we seem to have an ecosystem here in Richmond, you know, Shane Emmett has been on the show with Chia Bars and the other players that have made these various packages here at the University of Richmond with absurd snacks. Snacks, yeah. So there's a goodwill of the community to tap into. Uh, what was the tipping point of those potato chips? What's this anecdote I heard with the plan to do, I think, 20,000 bags or something <laughs> initially, and then you realize, wow, I'm, I, I could scale this nationally? Yeah, yeah. I, so I, you know what, what convinced me finally? What's the repeat sales? Because food is a very honest business. If you make good food, People are going to come back for it and they're going to buy it. So when we got consistently repeat sales for a year, that was what convinced me to go full forward. Although I always knew that this is the path for me because the potato chips are um, a foot in the door, if you will. But I imagine a much bigger line of snacks, foods, all in Indian inspired with an American flair. That's the dream. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. You are listening to Kea. You might know her as Kea Wingfield, the former, the erstwhile celebrated cake pop queen of the eastern seaboard in the United States. Her great story was launching this thing almost accidentally when it was, you know, it was a call center romance at Circuit City uh, 17 years ago or so. And when the company folded, I can imagine the sitcom thing where you kind of look at each other like, honey, what are we going to do? My gosh. And then you go walking in Carytown and you, I'm just making this up like the sitcom thumbnail version. You peek inside a window and it's like, I'm going to bake cake pops. That's what I'm going to do. And you did that masterfully. The pandemic happened. You pivoted to savory foods, including your, if you ever get the chance to try Kea's mango lassi milkshake. Oh my goodness. I'm breaking all sorts of walls here, but this is full disclosure. And I want to toot my own horn a little bit because I sensed that at the very outset when you were on one of these first episodes in 2014, Kaya is 
going places. She's resourceful enough. She's audacious enough. Now you're on the verge of taking a venture round. You were picked as one of Lighthouse Labs cohort here in Virginia. And in between, and we're going to get into that, you were the winning contestant on the seventh season of Food Network's Spring Break Championship. And I know that's a very bittersweet memory for you, but I want to get to how the potato chips scaled. I mean, it sounds a little inside baseball and everything, but it's one thing to do it as a courtesy and a thank you kiss for your valuable customers. It's another thing to get a deep frying vat. And when you get, I don't know, Cisco or PFG or others coming up to you and saying, can you distribute this across the East Coast? You might remember we had the Nightingale ice cream sandwich people mm-hmm. on our show here from uh, the University of Richmond. And it's ridiculous now. You see them in 7-Elevens across the country. That was something that started with a couple here in RVA Dine. And then next thing, they're selling them at Fenway Park in Boston. Next thing, New Yorkers are asking you about it. When did you have that hockey stick moment in your head with the potato chips? I think I always had it, to be honest. I think the first time I put that spice blend on a potato chip, I knew in the back of my head that I had something. It's an instinct that a chef has, and it, it rarely leads me the wrong way. But I think for me, um, as I created this chip, I kind of paid more attention to our stores, our grocery stores, and what the layout is like. And you'll see that there is like an ethnic aisle, and there is an aisle where you get all these American snacks, and kind of started to notice the segregation. I've come to a point where I'm not a big fan of the word ethnic. I don't care for those those dubious aisles, where sometimes they're in a dark place. So my dream is to be in the main aisles next to the big boys, because I feel like we live these integrated lives. My own family, were interracial. My husband is, is Caucasian. I'm Indian. My daughter is biracial. So I want to create a space where she can walk in and just buy a snack that speaks to her heritage, because uh, more and more families are blended now. How are we blurring the lines? I mean, I can go and look at very, you know, Kroger brand organic beef jerky will have a bulgogi version, a Korean version. I mean, it's broken through the main line. That special aisle in Target, Walmart with the Mexican, Asian, all the things compacted, it's clearly bleeding into the snack aisle. You see the famous collector's versions of Lay's that they find the Iberian jamon or people who Instagram them everywhere. Your goal is to break out of this, to not be relegated to that aisle, to be in the main aisle. Absolutely. I do not want to be, you know, pigeonholed into an ethnic brand. What about the deep frying capability? I'm just curious. Oh, about yeah, this. they're deep frying. Um, so we didn't actually deep fry them ourselves. We were sourcing the potato chips. There were kettle chips that we were sourcing from a small maker. And how were you coating them with this proprietary blend? Ah, now that's a secret. So we actually came up with a very ingenious way of the spice combining with the potato. It's a technique that kind of took them to the next level, and I can't disclose it. Even though it's full disclosure, I can't disclose it. But can you tell me how, so was it like the Queen's Gambit where you woke up one night and looked at the ceiling and (laughs) this spice in the mortar and pestle of this blend came to you? No, Tell the me something like that. Well, then the blend I always was making, right? And I perfected it over the years. Um, so it's a recipe I came up with. Um, and I've always tweaked it a little bit. Every time I made it, I tweak it a little bit. And even now, I'm still tweaking it. I don't think I'll ever be 100% happy with it. So um, that's like an ongoing thing. What was your exploratory committee like when you, uh, you know, outside of Pillow Talk, when you wanted to take this to friends and mentors? And, you know, if you were doing a restaurant, you would have a friends and family tasting. Or if you were test driving your, I mean, it is an incredible mango lassi milkshake. <laughs> it's so super high end. 
I think I'm picking up something here. Okay. Get the hint. I mean, that combined with the potato chips, just it's just mind-boggling. And again, it sounds like I'm advocating on behalf of this, but it's a reason why I was first interested in you. It's 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 why I snag you horse collar you to come back on the show. Who did you talk to? Nobody. My customers talked to me. I again, the repeat sales. No, were, but about scaling it. Well, about scaling it. So I um, there are two people who are. For my family and they're my mentors. There's two men. One of them is in in the world of finance, and one is in the world of operations. And those two men have um, really helped me navigate all this, like setting up a company. And because I've been in business for 13 years, right? And I, the cake pops are still ongoing, by the way. Candy Valley is very much alive. We're doing desserts. We're doing special cakes and birthdays and whatnot. That is intensely labor intensive. Very You're labor, there yeah. painting individual cake pops, making again. I'm going to put the pictures up. Cardinal nests cake pops. Right. Very different business, you know. So overnight, when the chips kind of took off, uh, for, the, for the lack of better words, um, I had to overnight learn how to do a CPG product. Consumer to, packaged goods right, product. How to package it, how to make it shelf stable, how to put a sticker on it, how to make sure I can produce 3,000 bags versus one bag. So all that was a learning experience, but I had enough chef experience to be able to do that. Now, the challenge for me was learning how to go to market. I'd never done this before. And that's where Lighthouse Labs or these two men in my family um, have been super instrumental. So what is the name of the game when you meet, when I've had people on like Lily's Chocolates or Shane Emmett and New Richmond Ventures, various VCs or private equity people who want us fun. And the space is changing a lot. If you think about all the processed foods and things that are being remaindered for kind of low sugar, ketogenic type things, a whole new section of the aisle. And they call the middle part of the grocery store the morgue because all these legacy brands are just ignored. So you have to move to kind of cleaner eating and some of the things that they hit on with you. But the VCs and private equity people and invest in this and even the strategic buyers such as Mars or Frito-Lay, they want to talk about scale. They want to say, can you get this business to $10 million? It's a very mercenary conversation for a person who wants to be in the moment, mindful, in control of the business. That's where I would get scared about, oh my gosh, so you want me to go from this co-location facility. We've had this as a theme in the show before. It's At some point, you feel like you don't own your own destiny. Oh, if for you sure. take the money from a certain source, you work for that person. I agree with you. And and do I not look scared? I'm pretty scared <laughs> to learn about scaling and to learn about um, going national because taking a brand from one potato chip bag to one million potato chip bags is a very different kind of journey. There's a lot to learn here. And that's why Lighthouse Labs is such a blessing at the time it's come on. It's the perfect timing for me. Kea, we're going to call this Kea chips or Bombay chips. Have you, have you orphaned Bombay chips? No, no, no. These are Kea's Bombay chips. And when we make new more product, it'll be Kea's so-and-so. So just like Stacy's became a vertical that was acquired by Frito-Lay, I believe. A lot of people wouldn't know that. Right. Or Lily's was acquired by Mars or someone or Hershey's. These Hershey's are, owns Lily's, And PepsiCo yeah. acquired Chia bars, Health Warrior Chia bars, which you can't find anymore. No. Wow. Yeah. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. My guest is Kea of KN Company, the Kea chips are exploding. She's now one of the cohorts in Lighthouse Labs. Is next round of mentorships. It's something we're going to get into. Kea founded the company coming to Richmond. What was it? 17 years ago, as a result of a call center romance, which resulted in her marriage and having to reinvent. And you've just been reinventing constantly and constantly and constantly. We're going to get back in a second. Do stay with us. Full Disclosure Podcasts on NPR, Spotify, indeed, all fine podcatchers, especially 
Apple Podcasts. The link is fullderadio.com. Again, fullderadio.com. We have some honking, huge live shows coming up this fall at the University of Richmond. I can tell you so far that Steve Inskeep of NPR's Morning Edition will be coming by to talk about his Lincoln book. We're going to have Rashida Jones, the CEO of MSNBC. We're talking to others, uh, Margaret Cho, potentially, Pete Yorn, potentially. I guess by putting it out there, it might induce them to finally confirm on the dates. We're talking to the new head of the Council on Foreign Relations and maybe, just maybe, even Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Uh, get the word out. Follow us on all social media at handle Full D Radio. If you're just joining us, my guest is Kea. KN Company is exploding with the chips. It's now affiliated with the Lighthouse Labs program. She's the eight startup cohort at Lighthouse Labs. Gosh, you started the chips as an offshoot of Candy Valley Cake Company. I remember Bombay chips, which were exploding during the pandemic with your various other savory pop-ups. Um, you're now in fundraising mode? We are in fundraising mode. Yep. So that was launched retail in 2021. Were you just going from store to store, Elwood Thompson's and the others, and saying, carry this? I know. They were coming to me. Why? Because word of mouth was coming around? It's word of mouth. Yes. Word of mouth is a very powerful tool in, in business. Um, when people eat something delicious, they want more of it. So, and, and Elwood Thompson was the first one, and they came to me. They approached me about the chips, and we said, of course. Of course, we'll put this on the shelves. So because they're so fine, it's not something that you could sell in a massive Stacy's chip size bag. Uh, these were almost like jewel-type small bags that people could buy. It was a really rarefied treat. It was almost like truffle oil chip. Right, right. How do you decide on the sizes? We did two sizes. We did an 8-ounce family size bag and then a 1.75-ounce snack size bag to eat with lunch or dinner or you know, just a snack on. Um, that's what the market had in place, and I didn't want to uh, rock the boat on that. Okay, I got to ask you about Food Network Spring Baking Championship. It aired in 2021, and it was the, I know you personally, it was the hardest year of your life. You are a mother. You are a community person. You've always been a friend of this show. We know each other outside of the show, and I watched you both thrive and suffer in that year when we were all isolated on social, and it felt like seeing a, a family member. I can't imagine the face you had to put on. We've had various people who've been veterans of Food Network and HBO shows and Cooking Network and others, and they tell us how the stuff is made externally. But the, the shadow and persona of that year in particular, I've, I know it's brutally hard to talk about, but talk to me about how it all came about. Did they come to you? Did you apply? Um, again, they came to me. Food Network and I had had other interviews with them before, but it didn't pan out. And this time around, it was the pandemic. When I went on to film the show in LA, I was four months pregnant at the time. So I had an added, a huge added challenge versus the other contestants. But Food Network found me, we talked, we had multiple interviews. Um, on my last interview, and this is my favorite part of the of anecdote of the show, the head of, I'm thinking the studio that I was talking to, and he asked me a question right before hanging up. And he said, do you see yourself participating on the show? And out of, I don't know where, came out of my mouth, I see myself winning and mic drop and I hung up and then I kicked myself. I'm like, why did I say that? Why, why did I say that? So anyway, that was a fun little part of the, that I remember from doing that. Um, but yeah, they found me. You were pregnant and they flew you out. Was your daughter here? Yes, she was here with my husband. Yeah. How long did that whole process take in the filming? I was and the... there for a month. Wow. Yeah. 
What's different on the other side that you're allowed to tell us outside the non-disclosure of staging behind the scenes? A lot of people tell me there's just a lot of waiting, a lot of hurry yeah, up and wait. Yeah, there's a lot of hurry up and wait. There's also t- a ton of work. Like you film the the actual show and then you film the the dialogue between you and the camera. That's hours and hours of filming. But I got to give, give credit to Food Network. They were so mindful of my help. They would have ginger chews on my desk. They would have Gatorade sitting for me. There was a doctor on site at all times. They had such great COVID protocols because that because you know that's that was the it was September 2020. Uh, we we stayed at this beautiful resort for a month. We were all in a bubble. We got tested two three times a day. Everyone. So I got to give it up to them for doing such a great job. The only other thing I can say about a TV show like that is you know when you see the clock on these shows like 30 minutes or 95 minutes. I used to think that I've for sure that there's some wiggle room in those clocks. And because it's, it's filmed, you know, they can edit that. Oh, no. When they say 30 minutes, they mean 30 minutes. Yeah. How did you deal with the blood pressure and carrying? <laughs> right. And nausea and all these other things and COVID. See, this yeah. is the balancing oh act that I can't quite understand. I think because I was in my fourth month, I had just gotten out of the, the first three months of the horrid nausea and morning sickness and all that had just kind of dissipated. So I was feeling human again and feeling better about myself. So the timing was really right. It airs in 2021, which everybody in the community is watching with an incredibly mixed heart because of a traumatic delivery that you had. Yeah, my son was born in February 2021. The day the show was airing at 8.50 p.m., um, I was transferring him from one NICU to a bigger NICU. I was in the ambulance with him, and I'm getting all these messages of congrats, and we just heard you're on the show, and it's going to air in 10 minutes. And unbeknownst to them what I'm dealing with, my son was very sick. He had a very rare condition that unfortunately took his life when he was two months old. And this is the hinge moment of your life. It changed everything. As a mother, that is the worst thing you can deal with, Um, and... I've seen all the highs and lows of motherhood now, and I'm still doing my best to survive it every day. You had a beautiful little daughter who I see now is a, you know, when I had the audacity to bring a Persian food truck around and you brought her and she's quite the sassy missy and <laughs> yes. you have to love it. You know, we we saw the the tea at the Jefferson Hotel together and your heart is split. And in this case, I imagine that commerce must be the last thing on your mind. You're in a position to maybe parlay this great Food Network victory and all the other interview appearances, but I imagine you must have been at best half-hearted about it. I don't know if I was half-hearted. I feel like everything in your life deserves its own place. Um, So the show had its own joy and celebration. My son's health has had its own um, issues and problems to deal with. I was in the NICU for two months. He never left the NICU. And every single day, I would tote my laptop to the NICU and work from there while he was getting his myriad of things that he needed every single day. At one point, he was put on life support. He was on life support for 12 days. And I had to power through all of that and continue to work um, and sort of brave my way through it, if you will. So that was hard, um, to say the least. But I'm really proud of the way I was able to handle everything. And I got to give it up to my parents for that. My parents gave me a really great foundation in this life. They taught me to be courageous. And um, that came in pretty handy. But I'm really proud to say that the company, and I have not told this to a lot of people or have not announced it yet, the company is set up in his name. So every bag of chip will have his name on it. While, I, while this company is set up for my son, I'm going to make it a success for my daughter. Because it's to me, this company 
is one giant love letter to both my kids. Think about the path you traveled, having lost your parents. The resilient Kia, which always blew my mind, the resilient and resourceful Kia to have a company fail near the financial crisis, to go through a pandemic, terrible family tragedy, but the beauty of being a mother and founding a company and finding meaning and runway out of it, which I have to tell you, it's very telling. I'm not short of words normally. The, the cloth that you are cut from, I would not have had the audacity to just show up places and figure out how do I gig? How do I become a master of cake pops? How do I experiment with this stuff? How do I keep my cost basis low? How do I befriend people at PR mixers? How do I become that community person? When you think about your body of work, it's to me, it's very impressive. And then Food Network was just a stop along the way. Right, right. And now you're in an upscale period. Talk to me about the Lighthouse Labs opportunity. I mean, at yeah. some point you transcend from being just a consumer packaged goods or a restaurant or a foodie person or a culinary school person to a true you know, finance-minded businesswoman. Uh, Lighthouse Labs has come at optimum time because we are raising. We are in a place where we have our co-packer lined. We have our spices lined. The game is now to go to market. So the mentorship that's going to come along with Lighthouse Labs is invaluable to me. And I am a I'm a pretty quick learner once you show me the way. Um, it doesn't take me long. So once I'm shown, I will succeed. What are they telling you right now? You need to find a co-packer? You need to find a sponsor? Oh, I already have all that. I've, I've spent the past year and a half uh, looking for the right co-packer because I'm very particular about the kind of chip I want to put out in the market. I want it to be um, a solid kettle-style chip cooked in the right kind of oil with the right kind of spice. So I've got a co-packer lined up. I've got the spice company in India lined up. I've got a branding agency working on the brand for the bags because we'll move to a professional looking foil bag, the whole nine yards. You were like a New York Times Tom Friedman anecdote about globalization because you talked about the potatoes in Pennsylvania and the spices from Asia. That's right. I, you know, I, because I've lived in the US for so long, I feel like this is my culture now. So I grew up with the Indian culture, but I live in the Virginian culture. So to me, supporting two economies is important. To me, the potatoes are coming from Pennsylvania. The spices are coming from India. It is a perfect representation of who I am. The spices is really the secret sauce. Now, you're not going to tell me if there's mortar and pestle action going on behind the scenes if it's a Sunday night thing. I mean, we can't follow you around with a PI and see where you source this stuff from. I don't even know how it's done. Like, do you have to be mindful of ports? Like, what comes into Baltimore? What comes in from here? What I can buy from a U.S. you know multinational uh, food ingredient company? Where do we even start? Again, that's why I asked you about this exploratory right. committee. I guess you're you're fearless about doing it. You're like, okay, I've made them. I know that they sell well, and it's just a matter of now riding the hockey stick of scale. Well, no, I think the past year I've spent a lot of time in talking to as many people as I possibly could. I've talked to so many co-packers distributors, spice makers. I've traveled the country. I went to a couple of a couple of different spice companies and talked to them. I did my research on what it's like to import spices from another country. I've really put in I, I've put in the work. Are we ready to show what that work is? What is the name of the game here? I mean an Amazon are they sold on Amazon? Amazon holds sells owns Whole Foods now. Do you want to be in a Walmart? Do they still look at a place like Columbus, Ohio as the median test market? Some people have suggested that that's what Richmond, Virginia represents. If we have, yeah. you know, we were at some point, if we were worthy enough of having a Bonchon Korean fried chicken place, or we have a little Vietnam, we have a little Bosnia, we had a Koreatown, that if it works here, 
that it would work nationally. It's going to be something that you realize, well, it's not so exotic after all. Yeah, Richmond is a stellar test market. I'm not sure about Columbus, Ohio, but here we're doing pretty good. Because I right now we are in 12 retail spaces, and they're so varied. There's a winery, there's a brewery, there's a coffee shop, there's a museum, there are specialty retail stores, there's a kitchen store. So it's a varied market, um, and they're doing well in all of them. How much of it can you bootstrap versus you hit up at a point where I got to go and raise money and make sure it's not expensive capital. I don't want to get inside baseball, but we are in a 7% mortgage market right now. The Fed is going to take funds up to a 22-year high, the Federal Reserve. Cost of capital is somewhere, I mean, it's not a zero interest rate environment like it was during the pandemic, where if you were blessed enough to be able to tap cheap capital and people had different risk appetites, right now there is a competition for capital. And you need to go out there and compete with Uh, corporate bonds with real estate and other things. You need to talk to cold-eyed investors. And this is what I've always asked restaurant people. We've had Mike Lindsay and others in there. There is a certain thing, if you're a restaurant investor or a cachet of like, I don't really care about the cold-eyed returns. I just want to be able to walk in with my friends and say, I own 2% of this. But no, you don't deal with that in consumer packaged goods. Uh, Well, you do, actually. Um, We've been bootstrapping it for a while. Um, We're at a point where we do need funds to be able to go to the co-packer and produce 30,000 bags. I think our, our first round will be a friends and family round. And then once we have more unit economics in place and more metrics in place, then we go to the VCs and the angel investors. So this is what I want you to seize on, friends and family and word of mouth through social media. How do you comfortably mix business and family in this case, because you're it's one thing to ask for people to show up and buy your meals in the pandemic to keep the business afloat. It's another thing, and we discussed this with Ingrid Schatz and Axel's Daughter Bakery and whether you want to take those checks. That keeps certain entrepreneurs up at night. Like if I take a $500 check from you or your family, but you're okay with it. I am not okay with it. <laughs> it's, it's very scary to me. I know how hard my friends and family work for the money they have. It is such a huge responsibility because it really makes the pressure even higher and higher when you're taking on very sensitive capital. So no, I will be losing a lot of sleep over it. We're going to try our best uh, to make sure they get multiple full return on their investment. And how are you keeping the lights on while you're out there raising capital? I mean, you still have the cake pop business. I do. I have the cake pop business. I do content work for uh, the Bon Appetit type companies like the Epicurious, the Kitchen. I do food photography. I do my own content. I do speaking gigs. I um, Are you still teaching? I am not teaching anymore. Yeah, not anymore. I miss that, but not, not right now. I'm spread pretty thin. There's no doubt about it. But anything worth doing is worth doing well. And whatever it takes, I'm going to make it happen. And then, you know, for our listeners out there who are not steeped in kind of startup and entrepreneurship and the leap of faith, there could very well be a well-meaning, I don't know, Indian-American couple that comes to you and says, why don't we just buy the whole brand off you for $50,000, $60,000? Why do you not want to do that right now? I know this brand is my baby, you know, and I'm going to grow it and watch it turn into what I want it to turn into. Yeah. I'm not thinking about the end goal. I'm thinking about the growth. Hmm. And so what is involved, if you have to explain it for a lay listener, scaling up with the packer for the next round to get attention from certain retailers, you have to hit a certain, you know, in in lockstepping this to get attention from who is a Walmart, the thing to the extent you could tell us, like you want to break away from the local wineries and um, wine shops and 
local groceries become regional, then become a mega regional. I'm thinking back to the Nightingale ice cream sandwich case studies. Like at, at some point, maybe they want to sell you in ballparks. Mm-hmm. I yep. I want to be so we we want to saturate the Richmond market at the gate. After which we want to go to the DMV corridor and hit up those stores. DC, Maryland, Virginia. Yeah. And from there, try other regions and then go national from there. But yes, Whole Foods, Costco is on my radar, Target. Trader Joe's would be a dream to partner with at some point. I actually literally dreamed about it one day. Airports, airplanes, like, you know, the little snack bags you get in airplanes? I want those to be Bombay trips because how fun is that? Which is really, you know, for example, for Terra chips, they're associated with JetBlue almost exclusively now, right? right? Or the uh, the Biscoff that you used to get on Delta. Yeah. Right. And it's a real big hockey stick moment for certain people that, you know, you get to, I've said hockey stick a lot of times. If you imagine how (laughs) a hockey stick is shaped, because every entrepreneurship professor wants you to scale up and move up that way. The question I have is how you can be discriminating for capital right now. I don't know if a lot of people out there, the lay listener again, would understand that oftentimes the more savvy the venture investor, the more skin they want out of your hide, the more ownership they want, the more control they want. You might be able to get a great check right now from a strategic investor or a financial investor, but you're not going to have self-determination necessarily if they're calling the shots. Talk to me about that. Right. I'm really very cognizant of the kind of money we take on. We want to be able to grow the brand with the vision I have. And so it's not just about taking on money, it's about taking the right money. And I do bring something very different to the table. There are not a lot of women entrepreneurs out there founders, especially, especially women of color, there aren't a lot of opportunities for for women like me. So to me, I'm selling culture in a bag. And that seems to be an attractive offer for a lot of VCs, I feel like. Yeah, what do you do about the era of very ephemeral IP? And I'm not even getting into artificial intelligence. This interview could be artificially produced, and it will be in short order, and I'll be out of work and gigging for you. But I just remember when, uh, you know, one Korean woman's seaweed chips, sesame flavored chips were the bomb in New York. And then next thing you know, every grocery store had them private label, Whole Foods, Amazon, others. It seems to be a race to the bottom. What is stopping? And this is the stuff that keeps me up at night. If you want to get into a Trader Joe's or an Aldi or a Lidl with your nameplate, what is stopping them from trying to replicate it on their own? Because they don't have the same cornerstones that I bring to the table. They don't have the palette. They're, they can maybe replicate something and make a perhaps um, a lower quality or a lower second grade product. But I'm also bringing a story to the table. You're supporting a woman in business. You're supporting a family. And all these things mean something in America. You know, it's not just about the copy. Full disclosure, stay with us. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. You're listening to Kea, formerly known as Kea Wingfield. I think the rebranding now is Kea and Company. This is amazing. You've listened, as listeners of the show will remember the Candy Valley Cake Company and the Cake Pop Queen of the Eastern Seaboard. It used to say Richmond and Virginia, but you started seeing these things everywhere. She is now one of the members of the new cohort of the Lighthouse Labs program, where I think you got $20,000 in funding. You're going to get all sorts of membership. In addition, she was the champion of Food Network Spring baking championship which aired in 2021 i guess in the 10 minutes or so we have left i'd love you to close us out you know i call this free skate you know the roller skating rinks of my childhood and everything where like free form i always like to say to my listeners one of the the most important things with my show is if i'm sitting next to somebody at a wedding at a bat mitzvah at sunday night oftentimes they tell you these parenthetical asides that you would never read in a book like think about bourdain and why you don't want to 
eat sushi on a Sunday night or somebody in a hospital would tell you never go to an ER or this or an airplane flight attendant would say the worst passengers are Monday mornings after a cruise ship. I want you to just fill us up with all these lessons and parenthetical asides because you're a font of this. You learned the hard way. You came here and reinvented. Again, turn of the century call center Kea in Mumbai to Cake Pop Queen, to Food Network Impresario, to now consumer packaged goods, venture-backed Doyen. Doyen, wow, I like that word. Um, my life so far has been a masterclass on resiliency. So to me, that's what it's about. You know, it's not about how many times, what is that Rocky phrase? It's not about how many times you get hit, it's about how many times you can get back up. And that's all I can say. But re- the other little things about capital, about keeping it lean. I mean, there, there are things that I imagine now the students that come up to you or, or the alums that you've had in the past life at the culinary school who want advice, who want pointers at the point that you've sought out so many mentors in your life, but younger people who are you seeking you out right now. It's a very different period. Disruption abounds. The retail channels are, are much thinner than they used to be. We've seen a die out of restaurants and smaller markets. It requires a bit more than resiliency. It does. I feel also like knowing yourself, right? Being true to what you can bring to the table and being really honest about it is important. For me, the phrase that keeps bouncing around in my head right now is dream big, but iterate small. So in the sense that don't take on 50, like a million dollars and then to get a bigger dream, take on $50,000 and make a bigger dream with that. So being frugal is important. Starting a brand that is truly very honest is very important to me. I, I've always been very open about my life and my journey and what this represents. Um, very important. Yeah, stick to your guns. I mean, is it helpful or hurtful? I want to kind of game this out for you. Suppose the CEO of Google is passing through somewhere and tries one of your chips and it's a revelation to him. And he says, come into a Google talk and I want to have a five-year contract for you to supply our cafeteria. Is that a help or a hindrance right now because you're trying to scale. You're, you're kind of in a position to say, well, orders are helpful, but I kind of need capital. Um, I will not turn that down. I wouldn't because what I have learned in the food business over the past 13 years, you say yes first and then figure out how you're going to make it happen. You have to do it all. You, I don't think there's a chance. There's no luxury to pick one and then just go after that. I think you have to take on the work. You have to find the extra channels. You have to scale. You have to do the branding. Like It's all of it. I don't think you can pick and choose. If you have to look into your crystal ball, where does this hub and spoke out to? Certainly you've tried dried chickpeas of varying caliber and quality. Some of them taste good. I imagine things doused in your special masala mm. mix that I kind of, you know, I honestly would put a softball glove in it and have it off <laughs> of a softball glove. Ideally, if I could order your- Writing it down. You know, I've, I've now plugged the mango lassi milkshake so many times that it's going to cause another pop-up. And to say nothing of the people that want to bring you in for special catering events and everything, how are you going to have the time? I'm hoping I won't have the time. I'm hoping I'll have enough money that I don't have to take on that work because I am doing that right now. I'm doing some private- dining, private catering and private chefing and things like that. I'm taking on everything I can to keep this dream going. So if anybody needs anything, please, please hit me up. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm quoting from Richmond BizSense here and covering your uh, induction into the, the new Lighthouse Labs cohort and the, the money prize. K&Co aims to relaunch the Bombay Chips product with revamped packaging by the end of the year. There are also plans to eventually broaden the product offerings with new chip flavors, as well as popcorn, a snack mix, and a cookie. All those items would 
feature flavorings influenced by Wingfield's Indian heritage. The goal, you say, is to have a whole line of snacks. So there's actually a business plan out there. There is a plan in my brain, yes. But is it actually put out? Are you going to have to roll one out or hire someone? I'm going to have to hire someone to put it out there. But but it, there is a plan I have in place. Uh, there are two other chip flavors that are in R&D. Uh, there's a popcorn, because I love popcorn personally. There's two popcorn flavors in R&D. There- when you say R&D, you have an R&D skunk work somewhere? Yeah, it's my kitchen. Like in the back. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I want to do. It's 1 a.m. in my kitchen, uh, you know, me and my R&D department. But um, This is your husband. This is your R&D department? Or your daughter? It's literally just me, honestly, to be <laughs> nobody else. Um, <laughs> because I have to, like, hash it out of my brain first. Uh, but that's how the Bombay chips came to life. So that's how the other products will come to life. There is a cookie idea I have that's really cheesy, but I love the idea so much that I'm I'm really, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. Although my husband thinks it's super dumb, but I don't care. And where do you test drive these things? Do you invite people to a pop-up? Do you invite people to your home? Um, you, like I'm thinking again, Ingrid decided to come out of the woodwork like one weekend during the pandemic. These are what I'm offering, fika cake and all of these other eclairs. And here's a Venmo link and you can come pick up at my house. But are you the kind of person that, especially now that we're hopefully past the pandemic, you're going to want to plate these things around a table to build word of mouth and get real-time feedback from this social media ecosystem that you built well? And again, for everybody out there that sees you on social media, the pictures are immaculate. You do your own photography. You teach. You're really connected to the PR community. There's a tremendous barter goodwill that you have. This is how I met you. Um, so my friends and family get to try whatever I'm making and I always get their feedback. But to be really brutally honest, at the end of the day, I rely on my palate the most. If I love something, I put it out. As simple as that. Because I know that I can, above anything else, I can trust that. Are you going to, and be very honest here, this is full disclosure, are you going to re- reserve the, uh, the NASDAQ symbol K-E-Y-N? <laughs> You read my mind. (laughs) Kea and Company is is now part of the Lighthouse Labs. Is it the 2023 cohort? Yeah, fall cohort. Are you allowed to tell us what you're doing with the $20,000 grant? Is that Uh, considered angel funding? I don't know. It's equity-free grant. Um, uh, Well, it's obviously going to go into the business. I don't know what aspect of it, though. Again, to summarize for people, this would be the third in a trilogy. We might call it the third coming of Kia because it, it was second one was Kia 2.0. The first one, we I think we called it Call Center Love because Center you Love. were born in Mumbai. You moved to Richmond 17 years ago as a young adult. I'm quoting here. You founded Kia and Company in 2010 as Candy Valley Cake Company. Because your husband noticed you were from Kandivali, yep. Mumbai, you rebranded last year. You were the winning contestant on the seventh season of the Food Network show Spring Baking Championship, which aired in 2021 during the pandemic. And now you're taking your Indian masala-flavored potato chips to the great consumer packaged goods wide open. Did I summarize it correctly? Perfection. You are officially a friend of the show. I know now it's it's kind of in the back of the file that you, I think, put in front of everyone. Like, hey, I was on full disclosure. That's <laughs> like a, It's like a first grade participation certificate after you've won all these awards. But I will say, Kea, I was early. Yeah. I, I, but I have to run this victory lap. I called you in 2014. I tried to film a pilot around you. So when you talk about friends and family, don't forget for me to put the hand. Never. I, I'm just, it's my, it's my Persian roundabout way of saying I'm proud of you. You're always welcome to come back on the show and we're pulling for you. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you. Full disclosure, special thanks to Claire Morgan at Notterly and the University of Richmond's Robbins School. If you're listening to us on the radio, note that while we often have to cut for broadcast length, The entirety of every interview is available on podcast. The link, 
please subscribe and tell your friends is FullDRadio.com. Again, FullDRadio.com. Hello to our listeners on Radio IQ across the great Commonwealth, down in North Carolina on WPVM in Asheville, KPPQ out west in California. Message me if you'd like to carry full disclosure on your air. My DMs are always open. Stay tuned for a roster of big live events at the University of Richmond this fall, including NPR's Steve Inskeep, the Council on Foreign Relations, Chef Sonny Bawija. I post to all the socials at handle Full D Radio. And do catch me every week on both MSNBC and NPR's Here and Now. I'm Robin Farzad. Thank you for listening. Back with you next week. 